Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. It's a special edition. We have our friend, Father Robert Atir, here with us in person. Jesse's on the road preaching. And Father, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thanks, Terry, for having me on. God bless you. We're birds of the feather flocking together. And what I mean by that is we're trying to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Now, Father, you have a YouTube channel right off the bat. Right off the bat, how can people watch some of your YouTube uh, presentations? Because I love what the ones you do. How can they do that? Well, it's uh, quite honestly, I don't even know. Um, Catholic Parents Online is the uh, is the, the group that that puts those out. Excellent. So I, excellent. The, Catholic so Parents they, Online. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Well, Father, we know that you've been a, a pa- associate pastor at the Church of Saint Raphael and Crystal and. Are you in the diocese of of um, Saint Paul, Minnesota? Is that where you're? Uh, yep, Saint Saint Paul, Minneapolis. So yeah. right now, I'm I'm actually in South Saint Paul, Minnesota. Oh, okay, good. Um, Holy Trinity and Saint Augustine. Well, Father, we really are glad to have you. What our format is, we do the Gospel of the Day. So we're going to take today's date, uh, which uh, probably is not going to be the, obviously the day when we uh, release this, but we want to get your at we call exegesis your your teaching on. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. You probably already had Holy Mass, so you're well aware of that. And then we want to get the quote of the day by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. I have not talked to you about Bishop Sheen, but believe it or not, we have a conference going on where we actually have the mitre that Bishop Sheen used and his cassock on display at our chapel. Ah. And we're going to be covering things of what the contributions Fulton Sheen has given to the church on the Blessed Virgin Mary, on evangelization, and on philosophy, when he took St. Thomas and, you know, what he did there. So people can get that online and watch that by going to vmpr.org. So let's get the gospel in first, Gospel of Luke. I'll, I'll just read the gospel, and then, Father, if you could give commentary, that would sure. be great. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Chapter 11, verse 5 day 13. <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples, Suppose one of you had a friend. to whom he goes at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey and has nothing to offer him. And he says in reply from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything, I tell you. If he does not get up to give him the loaves because of their friendship, he will get he will get up to give it to him whatever his needs because of something called perseverance, right? Wow. And I tell you, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good food to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Perseverance, Father, I'm all ears. I can't wait to hear your commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
Well, the thing right now, I think you have to realize people are saying, look, I've been knocking, I've been asking, I've been doing and and, and I and I don't seem to be getting an answer. Yeah. And so one of the things that we actually have to look at, because it goes with the, with the first reading from Malachi yeah. that was today, and and that was that there's going to be a test. And it, well, that's where we're at right now. And the day will come, the Lord says, when it will be evident who serves the Lord and who doesn't. Mm. That's what this test is about. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to persevere in, in the fidelity to the Lord? Are you willing to continue to pray even when it doesn't seem like it's doing you any good? Because it is doing an immense amount of good. We first have to ask, why do we pray? Yeah. It's not simply to get something. The purpose of prayer is to love God. Amen. And so therefore, what happens in God purifying that love is we go to prayer and it's dry and it's dark and sometimes it's difficult and we don't seem to be get, getting what we're asking for and so on. But that doesn't mean that we aren't going to. It's a matter that it's not time yet. God has to purify our souls so that we want only the best. We're asking maybe for good things, maybe not the best thing. And even the Lord talks about that at the end. You know, how your heavenly father, for those who will ask, will give them the Holy Spirit. Yes. So we go to prayer and we ask for all kinds of goofy things and some of them very good things. How often do we really ask for an, out, an infilling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. For the, for the outpouring, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so that we're able to do God's will more perfectly. Yes. That's what it is that he's looking for. And, and so right now, in the time in which we're living, which I think everybody can now see, things are getting more and more critical, and that division is happening. And so there's a division happening within the church that's pretty evident. There's a division happening within society. And so exactly what I mentioned from Malachi, that there's going to be this separation between those who serve the Lord and those who don't. And I oftentimes will bring up the point uh, from, from 1 Kings where Elijah goes to the people and says, look, if Baal is God, serve him. If the Lord is God, serve him. And the, what are the people? Oh, we don't know. And it's like, yeah, you do. Make a choice because in where we're going, there is no in-between. It is you're either with the Lord or you're not. And and by with the Lord, I don't mean lip service. I mean with your whole heart and soul and strength. You need to put everything into this. And in order to do that, we have to be rooted in prayer. We have to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And, of course, the spouse of our Holy Spirit, uh, that is our Blessed Lady. And, and that's what we have. Our Lady is there to lead us to her Son. Our Lady is there to teach us how to love him. And that's what we should really be about in prayer. So that's the perseverance. Beautiful. You know, one additional thing, correct me right on the air if I'm wrong. I was told every time when I prayed in the, every prayer with not my will, but your will be done, Lord. What a perfect way to pray. Exactly as Jesus did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's bring the smartest guy into the room. Archbishop Oh, Sheena Head. We know we're in crisis times. Father just mentioned it. And this is a quote from the Fulton Sheen's book, The Quotable Sheen. And it's about the cloistered nuns that are praying right now before the Blessed Sacrament 24-7. Fulton Sheen says, The cloistered men and women are doing more for our country 
than all of our politicians, its labor leaders, its army and navy put together. They are atoning for the sins of us all. They are averting the just wrath of God, repairing the broken fences of those who sin and pray not, rebel and atone not. As ten just men would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah, so ten just saints can save a nation now. Father, I use this quote because this is uh, going on right now in Israel. We, we, we're taping this. this uh, and I got a, a document from Bishop Strickland, who we do a, a weekly show with. He sent this on a tweet. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem is calling all Catholics worldwide uh, for fasting, abstinence, prayer, uh, these encouraging people to go before the Blessed Sacrament, to pray their rosaries, uh, spend time in prayer, praying, he said for this, prayers to deliver to God the Father our thirst, our thirst for peace, justice, and reconciliation. And I say that because Bishop Sheen understands the power of prayer by his statement mm -hmm. about the cloistered nuns and men that are praying. And I think that, from my, my, my take on Bishop Sheen, is that um, he, he has a comment. He says, some people look on prayer like an aviator looks on a parachute. He hopes he doesn't have to use it. And that's the problem. We need to get down on our knees and pray. And if we spend time before the Blessed Sacrament, all of us listening, well, I should say most of us, are, have access to an open church during the day. And so I would just encourage, especially these times of war in Israel and the Middle East and then and with Russia and, and um, Ukraine, that this is a time like no other where our prayers uh, from, uh, from our own individual prayers can affect the church and the society in a positive way. I think of what Our Lady of Fatima said, that souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make reparation. It seems like right now, Father, and you correct me, but it seems like we need to step up our prayer life because things are getting very, very uh, crazy right now. They are, and, and, and one of the problems living in a society like ours, which is very materialistic and, and all the technology yeah. and everything, yeah. we've gotten to the point where we seem to think we don't need God. And and so that that point of you know prayer being like the like the parachute, it's like prayer is our lifeline. Without the prayer, we have nothing. Exactly. And and that's what we need to understand. It's it's not there as a fail-safe or a, something to fall back on. Yeah. It needs to be the priority. Amen. You know, and and that's I always tell people, look, you know, keep your prayer like like a like an appointment. If you had an appointment with a doctor, you would change your schedule to get there. Yep. Well, this is an appointment with God. Well and that's said. far more important. It's the physician of your soul and and make that the priority in your day. And wow. and that's that's what's going to change your life. That's what's going to begin to conform you more and more perfectly to Christ. Well and said. As you pointed out. Well said, I Father, we're gonna take a quick break. Father Robert is here with us here on the Terry and Jesse show. Stay with us. We're gonna talk about the Holy Eucharist when we come back. Welcome back. Indeed, Terry and Jesse show. Father Otero is sitting in for Jess Romero today. I'm honored to have Father because he's a no-nonsense Catholic priest. And I think everybody gets inspired, Father, when you hear a priest just 
speak the deposit of faith, okay? We get inspired by Bishop Joseph Strickland every week because he's the real deal. And that's what I, I think it's important to people to hear holy priests that are just not doing it. It's nothing about them at all. It's all about Jesus Christ. Now, Father, <clears throat> we have this Eucharistic revival going on in the Catholic Church. The Bishop's Conference said, you know what? So many people don't believe in the real presence. What are we doing? What can we do to bring back a Eucharistic piety, a revival in people understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I'll set the stage. I'm 67 years old. I have been involved in apostolic work uh, since uh, 1979. And I would go around to churches and I'd always ask people, what is their understanding about the Holy Eucharist? And it hasn't changed. About 90% of them have no clue about the real presence. So, Father Robert, I really wanted to ask you, Foot boots on the ground. You're at parishes. What can we do to help our flock have a better understanding and love for the Blessed Sacrament? Well, I suppose there are a few things that, that can happen. First of all, we need to teach them. Yeah. Um, so, there, so there needs to be an intellectual knowledge, but it has to be the heart. Mm. The, the Eucharist is a person. It's the person yeah. of Jesus. And you can know all about Jesus, but you need to know Jesus. So there needs to be prayer, yeah. but a lot of it for most Catholics understand that that the vast majority of Catholics, their, their, their real connection with the church is on Sunday morning. And so what happens at Mass is what's going to set the tone. So if you have a priest who's in there being Father Groovy and goofing off and doing all kinds of things, it tells the people that this really isn't important, that we really don't believe that this is just a piece of bread and some wine, and we're telling a story. You know, if you have a priest who's reverent, yes, that reverence is going to come across to the people. Amen. But even if the priest isn't reverent, the people still can be. Yeah. And, and that's where, again, if you're going to Mass to pray, you're going to Mass to unite yourself with the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes then you can still be focused. Even if the priest is goofing around, yeah. you know, you can still be focused. Right. And and that's that's something that, again, people can, they will notice. And little things that even just one person, there was a parish I was at years ago, and we would come out because I had mass at six in the morning every day. And so I would, before mass, about five minutes to I'd start with the Angelus. Mm -hmm. So I come out, we do the Angelus. And when we were done, the people would sit down there was one little old lady that sat in the front pew and she would remain standing until I made it all the way back to the sacristy. Wow. And after a while, other people started to stand. Yeah. And after a few months, the whole place was standing. <laughs> and so just yeah. the example of one lady that stood there. Yep. So what can your example be? You know, because again, what kind of reverence are you bringing? And what I would, I've oftentimes said this, and, and we'll say it again, with all of the problems that are in the church right now, Yes. if I were to be asked, if you could do one thing, you could make one change and one change only, mm -hmm. with all the problems, what would it be? And I would say, get rid of communion standing up and in the hand. Amen. We should kneel down, we should receive on the tongue, because this is Almighty God. This is Jesus. And and therefore, if we started doing that, just the, that that symbolic value of, of kneeling down yeah. 
just says something. This is this is the reverence. Yeah. But to receive on the tongue, it's the only thing you do. I mean, there are lots of things that we stand in line and stick our hand out for. There's only one thing you would do to kneel down and put out your tongue, and that's to receive our blessed Lord. And and so so it tells us this is something entirely different from anything else I'm doing in my life. And it tells us, it reminds us, this is Jesus, and he is God, and I belong on my knees. Amen. And and that's that, you know, I mean, we see that in Scripture. Yes. When you look at St. John, our, the beloved disciple, our Lord's closest friend, if you will, in, in this life, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. You know, and that was Jesus in glory. Yep. And and uh, and so he didn't say, hey, buddy, how are you? You know, we haven't seen each other. Great. No, no, no. He was on his face. And so our Lord is hidden in the Eucharist. We don't see him and we don't feel him, but he's truly there. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, which means it's the fullness of his person. It is the person of Jesus who is there. And so how do we want to treat this person who is God? with the greatest reverence, the greatest respect. And that's why I would say, if we are on our knees and we're receiving on the tongue, and even if there's only one person in the parish who does that, others are going to see it, and people will start to follow that example, and the reverence can start coming back. Well said, Father. I have a story with my older brother years ago, 45 years ago, at a local parish. My brother was just kneeling down praying before Mass. And I didn't think anything of it. That's what we do. And this woman who is a convert to the Catholic faith told me years later, you know what brought me into the Catholic Church? And I said, no, I always ask that question to people. She says, your brother was praying before church, and I wanted what he had. Wow. That's why she became a Catholic. And what you just said, Father, about reverence, it is, I, I deal with a lot of non-Catholics, and I, lots of times they go, Terry, if you Catholics really believe in the real presence that you're talking about, I've been to Catholic masses. They sure don't act like it. And it's an indictment on us. Am I, it is. It's, come on. We should, if you really believe that, I'd be on my, on my knees. I'd be walking up on my knees to receive Holy Communion. So I just think what you just said makes a lot of sense. But can I just add another element? It's not, I mean, I had these 10 points that we covered once. And one of the points that I thought, was very important with the Eucharist is how we worship. And when you read the Second Vatican Council's documents, especially on the liturgy, <clears throat> you realize, wait a minute, this isn't being implemented the way the document says. For example, the priest turns around and says, the Lord be with you. What's that mm -hmm. indicating? That he's not facing you. I'm going to make a suggestion, and you correct me right on the air, Correct me on something, because I need it for my pride. I need to be corrected here. But here's my, here's my thought. I think that people would have a better um, focus on Christ if they didn't have to look at not just you, every priest, that the priest was facing the altar and leading us in prayer to Jesus Christ. I think that also would help us have a better grasp of what takes place at the altar. Yes or no? Well, yes, and let me point out two things with that. First of all, the, the word for the, the head priest, anyway, is the pastor. Mm -hmm. The word pastor is a Latin word that means a shepherd. Yeah. The shepherd doesn't walk into the flock. The shepherd walks in front of the flock. There you go. And so we're all going the same direction. So when people say, oh, the priest has his back to us, 
No, the priest is walking in front of you. He's, he's, he's the shepherd. Secondly, when I was in the seminary, and understand back then things were very bad, and I was in one of the worst seminaries in the nation. Wow. So, they, so in, the, the, the person who taught us how to say mass, in quotation marks, number one was a woman, yeah. and she was an actress. Wow. And the whole thing was about, look, this is like a play, and you are the lead actor, so you need to make big gestures and make eye contact oh and smile Entertainment. and all this nonsense. That's exactly right. But that's what she was looking at. You're yeah. looking at the people. You're there to entertain them. It's like, no, we're here to worship God. And even along those lines, I, I, I was uh, assigned to a place, and, and early on while I was there, just as a side point in one of the homilies, yeah. I mentioned that, you know, why are we at church? We're here to worship God. And it's the first time I've ever seen this. It was similar to like that wave that they do at football games yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. But this wave went through the congregation. I thought that I couldn't have seen what I thought I just saw. Well, a couple of months later, I did it on purpose this time and brought up the same point, just hit it out of the blue, and the same thing happened. Wow. And it's like, okay, these people are not here to worship God. They're here because they're going to go out to breakfast with their friends. And this is just a social thing. And it's 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 an excuse of how, okay, let's go to mass and then we'll go out to breakfast. And so again, we all have to look at that for ourselves and say, we are at mass to worship God. We are at mass because the sacrifice of Jesus is happening. Yes. We are at Calvary. Yes. You know? How would Our Lady and St. John have been at Calvary? That's the way we should be. They weren't looking at one another saying, this is really boring. You want to go home? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to go out for lunch when this is over? You know, when that's uh, like you're looking at their watch and saying, hey, it's, 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 uh, it's going on for too long. You know, what do you think? It's like, no, they were there united with Jesus in his sacrifice, and they were worshiping God. And that's the privilege that we have every time we go to Mass, and we cannot forget that. Wow. Amen, 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 I say to you. Whenever I hear a priest pre pro proclaiming the truths of the faith, I get excited, Father, because um, this is what you were ordained to do, teach you know the people the faith. And thank you for doing that. I'm going to throw another curveball at you, and that is about the bringing back a Eucharistic revival. Um, I think... What you just said about we're at Calvary at Mass, you know, that if people really understood what the Mass is, they would not be bored. You made that point clear. I'm going to make another comment about reverence. And that is, and I, and I go to an Anglican Ordinariate Mass, which is beautiful in English, but I also have the Novus Ordo Mass in Latin. And the Second Vatican Council document said that we lay people should know our parts of the Mass in Latin. So what is that implying? That we would have some Latin masses. Well, we're fortunate at our chapel, at our church here, we have, you know, several days a week a Latin mass. But I just want to, I like the idea how Latin is a universal language and that when we worship, it's just like, where else am I going to speak Latin? Not at McDonald's getting my breakfast, only when I worship God. And I think there's some, some there's a validity of truth that says, you know, the way you worship is the way you believe. And worshiping in Latin, I mean, I could be in Mexico City 
anywhere in the world, and if the Mass was in Latin, I would feel like, wow, this is a universal language. This is universal worship, more than having four or five different types of uh, languages for the Mass here in Los Angeles County. So if, if you think that it would be a benefit to the people to have Masses in Latin, tell me, and if you don't, I'd want to hear that also. Well, I say Mass in Latin about five or six days a week. I see, I did. And so, so yes, I think it's quite a benefit uh, on, on a variety of different levels. Uh, one of them is that the priests are not as likely to take, um, uh, to, to, to take, um, um, well, to do silly things at Mass because they don't know the language so well. Well, that may, and, and let me let me ask you, Father. When we come back from the break. I want to. I didn't realize you do a Latin mass. I want to have you give us your comments on how that helped you stay focused in praying the mass as a priest, because it helps me also as a layperson to have it in Latin. Stay with us. We'll be back with more on the Terry and Jesse show. Welcome back. Indeed, we've got a special guest, Father Robert Altier from Minnesota, joining us, talking about Eucharistic revival. And he was in the middle of saying uh, his thoughts about the Mass in Latin, and that you have been practicing, you've been praying the Mass in Latin, you know, four or five times a, a week. And I just wanted to let you finish your thoughts on the value of the Mass being said in Latin. Well, again, I was saying that that you know, if if a priest is is praying mass in Latin, most of them don't know Latin so well that they can can goof around with it, you know, as yeah. they do with with their own native language. So it it, it you know saves some of the abuses in yeah. in that way. It makes sense. It it also is a is a universal language, as you were pointing out. You know, you can go anywhere in the world, and and if people know the Latin responses, they're the same. Amen. Uh, and and at pilgrimage sites, you'll see that I, I was. I remember back in the 1980s, I, I was in, in, in the Holy Land. I was at the, uh, uh, the 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 Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Wow! And uh, and it was it was very interesting because they said the mass it was the Novus Ordo Mass, but it was in Latin, mm -hmm. and uh, and you could tell who the people from America were because they were the only ones who didn't know the response. <laughs> Everyone's every they 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 sang mass eight, uh, you know the mass of the angels and and so they sang the Kyrie and they sang uh, the because you do the uh, at the at the, the tomb of the Lord you do the mass of Easter no matter what day of the year it is you can do the mass of Easter Sunday so there, there's the glory and there's the credo and 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 the Agnus Dei and everybody from around the world was singing all the parts except. The people from America that hadn't hadn't heard them before and didn't know them, so which was pretty sad. Um, so, but you do see it unites people from yeah. around the world, and and it unites us in in a commonality of of worship of, of the Lord. And and so, Latin is the official language of the church, and it is you know so while it is allowed that that mass uh, can be done in the vernacular. Sure. It is still required, quite honestly, that all the people should know the mass parts in Latin. And interestingly, canon law requires that priests must know Latin well. <laughs> now, when when Pope Benedict was asked when when he allowed for the traditional mass to be done, yes. uh, he was asked about you know okay what what do the priests need to be able to know? He said, well, 
at the very least, they have to be able to pronounce the words correctly. Yes. And so, so I mean, it's so even though canon law requires that they know Latin well, which most priests don't, at you know, what the Pope was saying is that at least to be able to pronounce the words. Yeah. And which a lot of the guys who are priests don't even know how to do that. Unreal. So that's the sad part. It is sad. Father, I want to uh, talk to you now about a, a booklet that you put together on marriage. And I'll tell you why. Sister Lucia back years ago said that the final battle will be with the family. And St. John Paul II wrote a booklet, a letter to families back in 1994. And I love what he said. He said, the way the family goes is the way the culture goes. Mm -hmm. And so I have not seen this booklet on marriage, but I've heard that it should be very helpful for mom and dad. Can you share with us, uh, you know, your thoughts on a Catholic marriage, and why did you write this booklet on marriage? Well, first understand, I guess maybe we're using different terms, but for me, a booklet means something real small. This oh. is about a 200-page book. Oh, this is a book. Uh, I'm sorry. It's a book. Yeah. I have not seen it. A book? <laughs> you're right. Not a booklet. Okay, you're no, right. And, in, 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 and, yeah, go ahead. And interestingly, your, your, your counterpart, Jesse Romero, is one of the people who wrote one of the endorsements for Excellent. it. Excellent. Um, that, that's book, so. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Cardinal Burke did as well. So, so that's. Uh, but, but anyway, it's uh, it's it's it wasn't my idea to write a book. Um, this came from prayer. Um, normally, when I go to prayer, it's very very silent, um, except all my distractions, of course. But otherwise, it's just very silent. And this happened back a couple of years ago. I went to prayer one day, and well, it actually started the night before. I was awakened in the middle of the night. And internally just heard this, what you're to do for, for people preparing for marriage. Mm -hmm. And this beautiful idea about marriage, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Okay, well, fine, roll over, go back to sleep. And the next morning when I got up and sat down to pray, just expecting the usual silence, sure. sub suddenly there was this idea about marriage that was there. It's just beautiful, jaw-droppingly beautiful. And I said to the Lord, I, I'm sorry, but I know myself well enough. I've got to write this down or I'll spend the rest of the time of prayer thinking about this. <laughs> so, so I wrote it down and no sooner had I put the pen down than the next idea was there that I've never thought of in my life. And this went on uh, for nearly a month. And when I wrote all the, all the, the, the things down, uh, and then typed them up. It was 16 pages of single space notes. Wow. And I said, well, this is way more than I can go over in pre-marriage stuff with a couple. What do you want me to do with it? And I was like, well, write a book. And it's like, well, I have dyslexia. I mean, writing a book is not you know, going to be an easy task. Well, Our Lady gets what Our Lady wants. And so I wrote a book. Oh my and uh, and it's it's different from most books on marriage that are out there and that it is approaching it from the spiritual aspect of marriage. Good. And so it's not a how-to book. Obviously, as a priest, I'm not going to write a how-to book about being married. Right. Uh, but this is looking at the spiritual element of it, the, the union of the souls, and then what follows from that. Right. And and so that's that's what makes it very different. And right now, as you pointed out, what uh, what Sister Lucia had said, yeah. and, and also. What Our Lady told us, even at Quito, Ecuador, 400 years ago, was going to be happening in our day. The marriage and family, Sister Lucia said, will be the final battle between Satan and God. And so we are in that right now. 
And so for, for people who are married, for people who want their marriages to, to flourish, for people who really want to live a Catholic marriage, it has to be understood. This is a sacrament. It is first and foremost a spiritual reality. And what we tend to focus on, you go to any marriage counselor, they'll talk to you about communications, they'll talk to you about the relationship, and they'll talk to you about sexuality. Yes. But there's a fourth part, and that's the foundation of everything, and that's the spiritual part of the marriage, which you never hear about. And that's the beauty of what this is. And so, like I said, there are a bunch of ideas in there that I've never thought of in my life, so yeah. I can't take credit for it, just that they had to put somebody's name on the book, so I they put it. mine. So I love it. Well, you know, my wife and I, almost 40 years ago, read Bishop Sheen's book, Three to Get Married. Yes, excellent. And, yeah, and he said, you know, and I want to ask you about your book on a line like this. He said, Terry, Mary, your love for each other will not last because you're strong. Your mm -hmm. love will last because you have the power to renew your vows. So right. for almost 40 years, my wife and I, on a regular basis, and I don't mean every year, I'm talking a week or two, I get down and I renew my vows to my wife, and she renews her vows to me. And I have to say, Bishop Sheen's advice has been a real blessing in our marriage. Now, he has lots of other things in that book to talk on the spiritual life, and the other one we read was Casti Kanubi, uh, Pope Pius XII's document mm -hmm. on marriage. I mean, it, it, it really helps when you understand the sacrament of marriage from a perspective of the Catholic faith and how my salvation is intimately tied in to serving my wife and family. So I want to ask you about your book, not booklet, Terry, book, 200-page book. Uh, can you give us a teaser and then tell us how people can buy your book? In other words, give us some advice that you would give in that book to a couple regarding their marriage. Well, first of all, the point you made about the vows, I actually upped it and I just said, you need to do this every day. You know, this wow. is... This is what unites the two of you. This yes. is your sacrament. Yes. And and remember, as a married couple, you know, people will say, oh, father so-and-so married us. No, he didn't. You married one another. Exactly. You are the minister of the sacrament. It was your vows and the vows of your spouse given and received. That's what put the two of you, to, well, it's God who put the two of you together, uh, but but that's that's what brought about your sacrament. And so just as when the priest says, this is my body, and that changes the bread into Jesus, it is your word, the words of your vows that put the two of you together. And so that's the central point of the book, actually, is that when the question that, that is asked, you know, when, when Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man put asunder, the question is, what did God join? And it's your souls. Yes. That's that's why he says you can't get divorced because your souls are united. God makes the two one, not physically one. The physical union is the expression of the spiritual union. When the souls are united, then and only then can that be expressed physically in and through the body. Wow. And it is God who put the souls together. Only he can. I mean, literally, there is a miracle that happens. It's a recreation. God made the two of you to be totally separate individuals. Now he put the two of you together. Wow. And so there's there's a reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Beautiful. Back then, he started with one and made two. Now he starts with two and he makes one. And, and it is the way that the two of you are going to become saints. 
by living this out. And so there needs to be a spiritual life, obviously, the prayer life. You have to have your own prayer life. You have to pray together as a couple. And when you have children at home, you need to pray as a family as well. And, and so, so that's, that's the primary point to understand. The book then covers all kinds of other things about your dignity and about what is what true love really is. Yeah, because people you know, love, you know, we're in love. It's like, no, what, what really is love? Because that's the cross. Father, and, I want uh, you to, I'm sorry to jump in, but I want this next segment to cover some of the other um, nuggets in that book. Uh, that people, because I want them to get the book. First of all, how can they get that book, Father? The exact title of the book, please. The the name of the book is God's Plan for Your Marriage, and it's uh, it's it's put out by Sophia Press. But I can tell you the the place where you can get it the cheapest. Uh, it's it's a website called God's Plan for Your Marriage Book. Good. Dot com. Excellent. And. So it's that that way. There is no shipping or handling. I love and it. And so, Thank so you just you just get the book for the for the cost and and no shipping and handling. Awesome. And I want to just get when you said what is true love. I'll never forget one of my priest friends telling me here in L.A. And I'll tell the joke when we come back from the break. But this will set the stage for you to talk about real love. Uh, remember, I'm in Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> you know, the city of <laughs> angels. So wait to hear this story, folks. It'll knock you off your horse. And then we'll talk about what true love is in Father's book, that God's plan for your marriage book. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Actually, Father Robert Altier is filling in for Jess Romero, Terry Barber, and we're talking about his book, God's Plan for Your Marriage, published by Sophia Press, great publishing house. You can get that book by going to godsplanforyourmarriage.com, and you'll get it very inexpensively. Father, I want to give you a quick story and then set the stage for what true love is in your book. One of my priest friends told me about a motorcycle guy coming up into the church, the rectory, and, you know, it's really a loud, you know, like a heavy, uh, like a Harley Davidson, loud motorcycle. And uh, comes in and his girlfriend's sitting on the back of the motorcycle still and comes in and he says, Padre, pray, uh, me and my, my girl want to get married. What do we need to do? And uh, the, my priest friend says, well, you know, we need to have a little meeting about where you're at and names. And, and what's the name of your future wife? Uh, first of all, and I'll fill this on this form. The guy looks at the priest and opens the back door again and says, Hey, baby, what's your first name? Now, you laugh. Everybody laughs. But that actually happened. And you see, this is the mentality we have today. We think that we love someone because we're attracted to them. And that's love. So, Father, I'm going to turn it over to you and tell us what is true love. Well, love is, my, my favorite definition of love is doing always what's best for the other. That's St. Thomas. So, right. So understand, therefore, love is not an emotion. Yep. Love, love is, is a virtue, and it's the highest of all of the virtues, St. Peter, St. Paul tells us. And that's what heaven's going to be all about. And what we must understand is we are made in the image and likeness of God. And St. John, in his first letter, tells us as simply and succinctly as it can be said, God is love, period. 
You're made in the image and likeness of God. You are made to love. You are made to be loved. And ultimately, through the prayer life, you are made to be transformed into love. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> it's only by love that we will be fulfilled. And it's interesting that in our selfish society, and selfishness, understand, is the opposite of love, but in our self-centered society, we think that it's being loved that's going to fulfill us. It's not. It's loving that's going to fulfill us. And love, understand, also is a two-way street. It's giving and receiving. And so it's two people giving, two people receiving, two people seeking one another's good and building one another up. And so that's why St. Augustine, for instance, and really picking it up out of St. Paul, yes. can say love and then do what you will, exactly. because love never wrongs the neighbor. Yep. And so if you truly love one another, like these, these people, it's like, oh, if you love me, you would let me do this. Yeah. No, if you love me, you wouldn't ask me to do something that's sinful, because that's a violation of love. It's a violation of the dignity of the person. Yeah. So, so we need to love one another with the love of the Lord, which means we have to have the love of the Lord first. So then that can only come out of prayer. So in which just a, a point for the for the people that are listening who might be in, in a, a relationship that they're not married, if you want to stay out of sin, pray together. Build up the spiritual part of the marriage. Remember that the whole purpose of dating is to determine whether or not this is the person you're supposed to marry. Yes. And you will not be able to discern clearly if you're sinning with one another. It's a principle of moral theology. It is impossible for anyone in the state of mortal sin to think clearly. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're a student and, and you're sinning with, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that you can't go to school and get an A on the test. What it means is in the areas that are ancillary to the sin, you're going to be confused. You can't think clearly. So if the whole point is trying to discern if this is the person I should marry and you can't discern clearly, you're going to make huge errors. And so if you want to be able to have that discernment, if you want to have the clarity, if you want to have the love for this other person, pray together. Yes. Because if you're doing what you can do to build up the spiritual part of that relationship, it's going to keep you out of trouble in the physical part. For married people, if you want to love one another more in the physical area, once again, pray together. Yeah. Because if that spirit if that physical union is the expression of the of the spiritual union, the deeper and more powerful the spiritual union, the deeper and more powerful will be the, the physical. Amen. And, and so so and and again, keep it focused on the other. It's not about the pleasure that I get from this. Mm -hmm. It's what I am giving to my spouse. Well, said. I want this to be the best, most wonderful experience for my spouse. And then I receive what my spouse is giving to me, which is always going to be far greater than what you will get if you are taking from your spouse, which is using that person for a selfish reason. Father, also, would you think it'd be a good idea? Because I think it is. We, we did this and it's helped us we, you know, when we're married. We would go to confession together to the parish at the same time and mm -hmm. we would know each of us are living a sacramental life i thought that was a critical part of uh, of our courtship that we were frequently 
the sacraments. Absolutely. And, and, you know, so not only do you receive the forgiveness of your sins, but you receive the increase in grace for specifically to help you not to sin right. when you're doing that. And for a married person, the other sacrament, this is coming all the way full circle to Good. where we started today. Yes. The two sacraments most closely related symbolically are the Eucharist and marriage, yep. holy, holy matrimony. Right. And, and because this is the marriage of the Lord, and that's what we're invited to for eternity. So for married people, this is your preparation for eternity. It, I mean, obviously our vocation in any way, but for people who are married, this is what you're going to live forever. Yeah. And so it's preparing for that. And it's so, you know, when, what I always say to people and what I've got in the book is, okay, go to Mass and Pray about our Lord's disposition in the Holy Eucharist, not only his humility, but his charity as he's giving himself entirely to you, sacrificing himself for you. Then what is his disposition of absolute love for you as he gives himself to you in Holy Communion? Because that is a 100% gift of our Lord. He doesn't hold anything back. It is his entire person that he gives you. Now, reflect on your marriage because that should be your disposition toward your spouse. Yes. And the disposition you have in receiving communion should be the same disposition you have in receiving the love of your spouse. That's, again, part of the beauty of, of, of married life. And to understand, again, that, that, that this, is, this is the marriage feast of the Lamb. And that's, so you know, even in, in, the, in the New Mass, when they talk about that, Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lord. If you look that up, that's about the wedding supper, the marriage feast. Right. That's what this is. It's the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so it's the union of Jesus with your soul that is going to then unite the two of you. I mean, if both of you are not only are going to communion or to confession, but now both are also receiving Holy Communion, Yes, you're united with Jesus, but you're united with one another. Obviously, with communion, united with everyone who's received our Lord, but specifically the two of you in that intimate way, not intimate in, in the sexual meaning, but intimate in the spiritual way, right. which is much more profound. And, and so you're united with Jesus, you're united together as a couple. And what a, what a beautiful, profound thing that that is when the two are truly one in that way. Yeah. Father, I wanted to ask you if in your book, if you have... This and there. Um, I've noticed when you see couples who really love each other and they serve each other, and you can tell, I've had people, um, priests, even uh, lay people say, well, gosh, it's so obvious that you love your wife. You seem to always are looking for her needs. You know, where, mm -hmm. what do you need to drink water? Do you need something? Um, I have a practice, and I want to ask if you think this is a good thing. I kind of think it is, that, and a lot of guys tell me they do this, like, Sometimes the guys get up before uh, the women do in the morning. Or I'm an early riser. So I will bring a cup of water to my wife's bedside every single day. No matter what, how I feel, I will do that. And this is, mm -hmm. I tell her, it's my expression of my love for you. So this water is just an extension of my love for you each day. Now, that sounds kind of corny to some people. But there really is uh, a... Um, it gives me great honor to do that, to serve my wife. So it, am I on to something? Isn't that something that 
married men, married women need to know that when we serve our spouse, we're serving Christ. Exactly. And so, so in, in, in that example with, with that water, what you're doing is saying the very first thing out of bed, <laughs> I'm putting myself before me. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting my wife before myself. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. and so, so she's the one that I've given myself to in Christ. And so I want to serve her. I'm putting her first. But it's not just that glass of water then. It's the whole disposition. This is supposed to be throughout the day. Amen. And and so what I say in the book is that you you shouldn't have to wonder, you know, or 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 even have to tell the other person I'd like this, because in marriage you get to know one another so well, you know what the wants and the likes are. <laughs> and you can meet those needs before it's even mentioned. So true. And so so again, it's the charity of looking out for the good of the other person. You nailed it. Father, people can get your book, God's Plan for Your Marriage. They can go to Sophia Press, but they got a little better price at a website called God's Plan for Your Marriage. Is it dot com or dot org? But God's Plan for Your Marriage book. Oh, book. Dot, oh, sorry. dot com. Dot com. Okay, book. So you want to put yeah. book in there. Okay. Yeah, God, God's Plan for Your Marriage book dot com. Great, great. Well, I will put that down because I'll refer that to people dot com. And Father, uh, one last thing. If there was one thing that you would tell a couple who comes to you, what, what, what's the first thing you tell them when they come for marriage prep? A husband, future husband, a future wife, sit down with you. What do you tell them the first thing you say to them? Well, I mean, we talk about how they met and all that kind of stuff. But, but then the, the key is what's, what's your spiritual life like? There you go. Because, again, you're, you're, people don't understand that marriage is that spiritual relationship first and foremost. Wow. And, and that's what they need to realize. And, and so, so it's, it's the, the union with Christ that will lead you to union with one another. Amen. How about a blessing for all of us married couples and all of us listening here on vmpr.org, please. Absolutely. Commending all of you to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the intercession of St. Joseph, protection of St. Michael, the guidance of your guardian angels, and the intercession of your patron saints. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and your families and remain forever. Amen. Amen. Father Robert Oltier, author of the book, God's Plan for Your Marriage. Book.com is the website I want you to go to. God's Plan for Your Marriage. Book.com. I want to thank you, Father, for taking this time to share the good news of the sacrament of marriage in the Catholic Church today. Both well, thank you for having me on, Terry. Uh, God a, bless you. Well, and I hope we can do it again and again. God love that you. That would be an honor. Amen. And I'll let Jesse know that I got a chance to finally meet you. <laughs> God love you. Stay with us. God Jesse. bless you. We've got another show coming up. Thursday. It's powerful radio.